He doesn't tell us to, to bind the strong man or to make some kind of formula. Instead, He gives us His Word. Because the greatest weaponry we have isn't in binding and loosing or in exorcism. Instead, He tells us this Word of God is enough for us. This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. Take a copy of God's Word if you have it this morning. Open it up to Ephesians chapter 6, please. Ephesians chapter 6, and we are going to begin by looking at verse 10. Uh, we're concluding a sermon series we've been in the past couple of weeks on spiritual warfare, what it means to combat against the principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this age. The Bible tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And so how do we go against who Satan is? How do we know what it means to live in the kingdom that is coming but is not yet here? And how has God given us equipment and weapons to fight? So that's what we'll talk about today, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. We are reminded in reading the Word of God that each of us are susceptible to spiritual temptations. And I was especially reminded of that this past week. I went to the See You at the Pole event at our local school and thought I was doing a good thing and seeing middle schoolers pray, and it was great to get a, be a part of that. But I accidentally had to take a part in a, in a photo. I inadvertently photobombed somebody's... Uh, Somebody's photo, and it was, a, it was a friend of mine, or a former friend of mine, I should say, after you see the picture, uh, was trying to take. And it's interesting how spiritual warfare takes place. So he decided to help us out on the spiritual warfare series and edit this. You can see me in the background. That's me with the horns and the pitchfork. And so if, uh, if, if you're not careful, that, that can be you too. And as I said, that's Pastor Andrew Hunt, Union Baptist Church, former friend of mine, after that photo. <laughs> he decided to help out. We think about what it means to combat against the spiritual darkness. How do we go about that? And the Bible tells us that this isn't simply a defensive fight. This is an offensive fight. It's not enough to just protect yourself. You actually have to fight against the principalities, against the powers. And here's the thing. You can't win if you only play not to lose. Like UK football found out against Florida a week ago. How do we fight back against the enemy? Well, the Bible tells us there's a couple of ways to think about this. Sometimes we'll think about, you know, binding the strong man or saying words of rebuke to Satan.
But if you look at the Gospels themselves, and then you look at the book of Acts, what Jesus is constantly doing is performing miracles and then performing exorcisms. And an exorcism seems to be on the same level as a miracle. So Jesus will feed the 5,000, he'll heal someone, maybe he'll raise someone from the dead in a day's work, and then he'll cast out a demon. And it also occurs in the, in the Acts a couple of times. We'll read where, where Peter and John say, Silver and gold we don't have, but such as we have, give we thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. But it doesn't seem to be the pattern for the, the normative life of the New Testament believer. Now, can God heal today? Absolutely. Can he cast out a demon if he so chooses? I sure hope so. He can do anything he wants to do. But notice what the Apostle Paul gives us in Ephesians 6. He tells us there's spiritual warfare. He tells us we're wrestling against principalities and powers. But he doesn't tell us to, to bind the strong man or to make some kind of formula. Instead, he gives us his word. Because the greatest weaponry we have isn't in binding and loosing or in exorcism. Instead, he tells us this word of God is enough for us. And just as a soldier doesn't go into battle without having the proper equipment... Neither should you and I go into battle without having proper spiritual equipment. And if you think that you can live the Christian life in your own strength, on your own terms, in your own time, and in your own power, you are going to be disappointed. It is foolish for us to try to live the life of faith in our own strength. The Bible tells us that David, the king, strengthened himself in the Lord. And so also must we do this. We have to fight the fight of faith in God's strength. And so how do we put on the armor of God? Remember who he's writing to. He's writing to people who are living in the middle of the greatest empire of the day, the Roman Empire. I love history, and now that the text talks a little bit about history, I've got an excuse to talk about it, so bear with me and, and tolerate me a little bit. The Roman Empire was known for being organized, for being formidable. They were very disciplined, and during the days of old, even before Paul wrote this, they had... They had gone on great military campaigns. I listened to a podcast that's in the, the top ten pretty regularly by a guy named Dan Carlin. And these podcasts are like five or six hours in length. And you know, how in the world can I stand five or six hours of history? you got to listen to it in, in spades if you want to listen to it. And some of you are like, that's torture. I hated history. Why would I listen to it now? It's actually pretty good. I don't know if he's making it up or not, but it's good. He's, he's talking about right now the, the, the Celtic Wars when Julius Caesar went and, and, and attacked. And I've actually been to some of the places where, where he went. He got over into England. I've seen in the Tower of London, you can see the, the ruins of one of the ancient Roman walls. You can go to St. Albans a few miles outside of London and see one of the ancient fortresses. And, and it's really a neat place to go. But the Romans were known for their discipline. And so when other armies would kind of get scattered, the Romans stayed in rank. They would have the cavalry off to one side. They would have the, their legions backed up. And, and they were always able to fight because they had the proper equipment. And anybody that Paul is writing to would have known what a Roman soldier looked like because they were all over the empire, stationed wherever they may be, and they knew what kind of equipment the Romans had. And if the greatest empire of the day equips its soldiers with proper equipment, how much greater does the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, when he tells us that we are to be fighting onward Christian soldiers, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before, when Jesus himself is placing the banner of light against the forces of darkness, you rest assured he has not left his soldiers without proper armor. And so he tells us, 
This is what it means to be equipped with the Word of God. He says what we are to do is to be fastened with the belt of truth. Unless you're Wally, then you wear suspenders with the belt of truth. I'm trying to catch Wally. He's knocking out on me. Not the only one. This is an alternative of what it means to live the Word of God. Listen to what most people would look at Ephesians 6 today in the church of God. Listen to this alternative version and see if this doesn't line up with the church. Lay back and relax them with the belt of evasion buckled loosely around your waist with the breastplate of defensiveness in place and with your feet fitted with the pluralism that offends no one. In addition to all this, take up the shield of grudges with which you can hold on tightly to hurts and slights. Take the helmet of entitlement and the bludgeon of the flesh, which is the word of anger, and air what's been done to you on all occasions with all kinds of criticisms and complaints. And if that's you, you are not fighting God's war. You're helping Satan in his war. Listen, in a world of falsehood, we need God's truth. In a world of, of fake news and indeterminate sources, we need the truth of God. And so he tells us we have to take every thought captive through the renewing of our minds. And I've got to think, every word that I say, every thought that I have, does that line up with the word of God? Is it true? Is it honest? Is it just? Is it helpful? The enemy seeks to cloud our mind. He seeks to cloud our conversation with things that simply are not true. And Jesus will tell us that this truth is not simply something that's been written down. It's not simply a concept or an idea. Truth is a person. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He says, thy word is truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And so when you begin to measure your conversation, Conversation, when you begin to measure your mind on whether or not it's backed up in the Word of God, this is when your waist will be fastened with the belt of truth. He tells us to wear truth. Then he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. What is righteousness? I'm not talking about self-righteousness where we think we've got it together. But instead, the righteousness of God. Righteousness is God's goodness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, seeking after the law of the Lord. In His law do we meditate day and night. Here's what you have to understand. When you begin to see God's righteousness, the goodness of God in your life, you will no longer see His law as a burden. You will see it as a blessing. David says, I delight in the law of the Lord. I thank God for His word because everything, Everything that God has put in this word is written for your good. Every single word. And if we would ever understand that, that this is not meant to bind us, it is meant to protect us. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life, that you might have joy. And the most miserable person on the face of the earth is not the one who follows the word of God, it's the one who knows the word of God and has forsaken it. This is God's word to you. This is your great joy. This is your great happiness. In Him. And so he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Live in God's truth. Live in His glory. Live in His goodness. And then he tells us, 
having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, shoes for your feet. Now, isn't it interesting, the role of shoes and the comparison of the gospel throughout the New Testament. So Jesus will send out the apostles two by two, and he'll say, go out into the towns, share my gospel. Whoever doesn't hear you, wipe off the shoes of your feet, go on to the next town. Paul will say, how beautiful are the feet of them that share the gospel of, feet, uh, of peace. Guys, did you... Uh, did you compliment your, your wives or your significant others by saying, man, you just have beautiful feet? Did you say that on the first date? <laughs> it's kind of an odd thing to say, and especially in the ancient world, because what they would have to do is wash their feet constantly, which is a good thing to do, but they would have to do it because of the dirt and wearing of sandals. It was actually an insult. And so when Jesus washes the feet of the disciples, that's considered a very lowly thing to do. He has the heart of a servant. The gospel of peace coming about through your feet, that it moves, that it's active, that we have to be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us. You know the great problem in the church today? Nobody is telling others outside the church about Jesus. Oh, we give life advice. We say, I'll help you when we can, and that's good. But man, if we don't tell them about Jesus, what are we really giving them? And so we say, well, we're intimidated, or we don't want to offend. Listen, they're not worried about offending you. You say, well, how do they do that? They're saying that any way you want to go will get you to God. They're saying that if your good outweighs your bad, maybe one way you'll make it. Hey, that is a gospel. It's the wrong gospel, but it's a gospel. And so, so everyone has a stake in this, and what we want to do is make sure that people hear of the gospel of Jesus. And you think about this. You know, if you're worried about offending or you're worried about driving them off, if we really believe God's word, where are you driving them to? Are you afraid of sending them to second hell or third hell or fourth hell? It's not degreed here. He says we have to be willing to share the gospel and to realize that when we do so, we are going against the forces of hell. When I say this is what Jesus did for me, I once was lost, but now I'm found. He's changed my life, and because of that, he can change your life. He can change anybody's life if you'll come to him by faith. That's where the power of God is. Satan and all his demons tremble at the thought of Jesus. And so he says, share that good news. Do it. Do it with your colleagues. Do it with your neighbors. Do it with your friends. Do it with your enemies. Do it. Then he tells us to take up the shield of faith in all circumstances. So the shield is blocking against the fiery darts of the enemy. What are some of the darts that Satan seeks to throw out of us? I think the primary thing is Satan tries to remove the very thing that causes him to flee. So he tries to replace our faith with doubt. He tries to get us to think of the goodness of God, to say, maybe God doesn't really love me. Maybe I'll never be anybody. How could God allow this to happen? And what you have to do is live in faith and say, I don't know how I feel. I don't know about my circumstances, but I live in the promises of God and I believe him and I take him at his word. The shield of faith, it's defensive in all circumstances. Then he says, take the helmet of salvation. Now, isn't this interesting? Because a lot of times when, when we pray a prayer, something like that, we'll say, you know, you need to ask Jesus into your, into your heart. So you would almost think, well, why, why does he say that salvation is a helmet? Why wouldn't it be the breastplate or something like that? Well, the helmet is, is, is your mind. I think it's to remind you 
of, of the grace of God. It's to remind you, by grace are you saved through faith. And it's to remind you to look at other people through the lens of what God did for you. How often we forget that, but for the grace of God, there go we. Grace has changed our lives. And when we look at people and we don't say what's on our mind just to say it, but we say, is what I'm saying helpful? Is it of the Lord? Or is it because I'm better? When I begin to think that way, man, we'd cut down on a lot of our conversation, wouldn't we? Does God want me to say this, or do I want to say it for myself? The helmet of salvation, that renewing of the mind, of the grace of God given towards me. And then he says, finally, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So Hebrews 4.12 reminds us that the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's as a two-edged sword. It pierces hearts and changes lives, dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit, of the joints and the marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and incense of the heart. In other words, God's book will read you better than any book ever could. And he says it is a word of welcome. It is a word of warning. People will be overjoyed with the word of God, and then they'll be offended by the word of God, and often in the same service. So to use that word of God, that is our offense. And brothers and sisters, if we're not in the word, we are missing out on the very thing that scares Satan the most. And all of this weaponry is undergirded with prayer because the principalities and the powers are helpless against our prayer. Scripture and prayer are the two chief weapons in the fight. And here's the temptation. The temptation for us is to think we no longer need the armor. The Romans had a check for all of their military. The centurions would go through the camp, and they would bang against the breastplate of each Roman soldier, right in the heart area. And there was a certain sound that it made if the breastplate was solid and in good shape, and the armor bearer would yell out, Integritas, when they came by to say, we've checked this armor, it's good, it's complete, it's furnished. Well, later on, Caesar got some of the soldiers out of there with some political favors and created the Praetorian Guard, which is basically our version of the Secret Service. They got really nice equipment and didn't bother to, to check their armament anymore. And pretty soon, over a couple hundred years' time, the Roman soldiers in the other legions decided that they wouldn't check theirs anymore either. And when they stopped checking, this is what happened. Read, read one 4th century Roman general's account. This is what he says when they stopped checking, when they stopped looking for the armor. When because of negligence and laziness, the parade ground drills were abandoned, the customary armor began to feel heavy since the soldiers rarely, if ever, wore it. Therefore, they first asked the emperor to set aside the breastplates and mail and then the helmets. So our soldiers fought the Goths without any protection for the heart and head and were often beaten by archers. Although there were many disasters which led to the loss of great cities, no one tried to restore the armor to the infantry. They took their armor off. And when the armor came off, so too came their integrity. It was only a matter of time until the legion rotted from within and was unable to hold the frontiers. They took their armor off. Man, have you done that, believer? Are you in the Word? Are you in prayer? Are you, you living in faith? Are you walking in truth? Are you living out the righteousness of God? Because if you're not, you are a sitting target. I see men and women picked off all the time because they forgot to put on the armor of God. In fact, there's one point where the Bible reminds us that unless you're wearing the armor of God, you're not ready. There's a point in Acts 
where there's a man by the name of Simon, not Simon Peter, but another Simon who's trying to perform miracles. He's a charismatic figure. He's, he's giving them everything. But apparently he doesn't have the power of God because at some point a demon comes, a demon-possessed man comes, and Simon tries to cast him out. And the demon looks at him and he says, you know, Jesus I know, and the apostle Paul I recognize, but who are you? And I would just ask, are you wearing the armor of God enough that you're a threat to the enemy? Are you living in light of his coming so that the demons know your name? We have to live in the power of God. And the two consistent commands of Scripture are watch, be aware, and pray. You've got to be doing that. And so how do we respond to spiritual attack? This is from Chuck Lawless. I think these are some, some good reasons, some of which we've talked about. Number one, realize that, believe, that believers are not intended to be on the defensive in spiritual warfare. If you've got a bunker mentality as a believer, you're not living the way God intended you to live. He wants you to be on offense. He wants you advancing the kingdom of light against the kingdom of darkness while living in his truth that Christ has the victory. We understand something today. We're not wrestling, wondering how it's all going to turn out. We know how it's going to turn out. Jesus won. He's out of the grave. And yeah, Satan has some time for a little while, but there's a day coming when his time is near. And so in the meantime, we're fighting the fight of faith. Secondly, enlist somebody to fight the battle alongside you. Folks, this is so important for us. You cannot live the life of faith by yourself. You're not meant to. You need the people of God. And, and if you're lonely today and you need a brother or a sister to come alongside you, please let us know. We will find somebody for you. But all of us need someone to live the life of faith. Three, get in the Word. You've got to be in this Word daily. If you say, man, I just have trouble getting into it, ask God to speak to you. Ask Him to help you. Four, pray. Even if it's hard, you say, I don't know how to pray, then pray, Lord, teach me how to pray. He will. Five, forsake sin. What is the stronghold in your life? What is it that's holding you back? Listen, you cannot walk with God and hold hands with the devil at the same time. It don't work that way. You have to forsake sin. Six, share the gospel with somebody. As we've talked about, evangelism is offensive. It's on the offense rather than the defense. And then seek reconciliation of hurting or broken relationships. And this is especially true as we consider the Lord's Supper. Jesus will say, you know, if somebody has something against you, before you even put something in the offering plate and you know about it, and you can do something about it, you need to try to make it right. They may not be receptive to it, but you need to try. And then finally, he tells us to press on. And wherever you are today with your family, with your marriage, with your kids, with your job, with just life in general and you feel like giving up, understand that is exactly what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to give up. He wants you to quit. He wants to gain victory over your life. And if you feel ready to give up, you have to understand that you are ultimately not alone. Some people say, well, I don't have anybody in my life. That's not true for the believer. You have the Spirit of God inside you, and He has not left you to defend by yourself. Psalmist reminds us, oh, grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. And one of my favorite stories in Scripture we addressed a, a couple of weeks ago, the first part of it, Simon Peter. And Simon is often addressed not as Peter, but as Simon when Jesus is rebuking him. And so here's, here's the Simon part. He's talked about something, and Jesus comes back and he says, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat. 
In other words, Satan's about to tear you up. But the second part of this verse is just extraordinary. Jesus goes on to say, the words of Christ, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. You say, man, does anybody pray for me? Does anybody know my problems? Jesus prays for you. Jesus knows your problems. And he said, when you don't have any strength on your own, the Lord is fighting this battle on your behalf. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. You don't have to fight this fight by yourself. You have the strength of God inside of you. And he says, wear his armor because you're going to need it. So what are the strongholds for you today? What's holding you back? You say, Barry, I want to be all in, but there's some things I have to give up. Give them up. Nobody in eternity is going to say, man, Lord, I just I, I spent too much time serving you. <laughs> no, nobody says that. You realize that, right? What's holding you back? Is there a secret sin? Is there a grudge? Is there a past relationship? Is there something that you think is impossible? Can I just say something to you? Irreconcilable differences with people are reconcilable with God. There is nothing that he can't do. We best believe that. That all things are possible with him. And here's the thing about the Lord. He always, always provides a way of escape. He says there's nothing taking you but such as is common to man, but that God is faithful and God will help you in your fight. He will help you in your temptation if you will trust in him. And so the question today is, are you in? Because there's a war going on. And there's a spiritual battle zone inside and outside these walls. And we need all hands on deck. And so he calls for us to live in life that is coming by wearing the armor of God. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.